you would please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Please follow in the reading of the Word of God. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance to the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, and created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Father, I ask that you teach us. You know that I, uh, boy, I struggled this week with this. But as always, you won. So, Lord, I ask that you would teach my brothers and sisters. They would hear the joy of our salvation, the purpose of this holiday. But also, Father, the power of the resurrected life. To you, my King, in Christ's name, amen. I'm looking at a section I call it off with the old and on with the new. And we have it broken down into two pieces. One is the walk of the old self and the walk of the new self. Over the last four weeks, I have been dealing with the old self. But as I shared in my prayer, the Lord, where I was going (laughs) next, the Lord uh, uh, didn't let me. So I don't know what I'm going to call this except uh, the joy of your salvation based on the understanding of the old self. I think that we are in a weird time frame in the evangelical community here in the United States that uh, I'm not sure people know what they were saved from. And so I'm going to put a bow Hopefully, do you understand the old self before your salvation? Now, I know some of you were raised in the church. Some of you were involved in and out of the church most of your lives. And that's, there's, that's cool. I wouldn't. Okay? And so, I think what happens sometimes, I would almost call that a sheltered life, even if it wasn't theologically promising. But there was a protection there. And I'll explain that as we go through. So I want to start right now with 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. When I have people come and tell me they are saved, I say, well, how do you line up with 1 John 
Here in these two verses, you'll see why. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Verse 5. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You claim to be a Christian. Then you have been transformed, which means and includes that you have become an overcomer. You have overcome the world. Okay, the word there, overcome, in this text, is Nike. It's the word that we get Nike from. It means a victor, to conquer, to have victory, to be superior, to be an overcomer. A basic reality of salvation is that it transforms a loser into a victor. From a victim to a victor. John is kind of adamant about this in his gospel. Chapter 16, verse 33. He says this, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have Overcome the world. As we enter into Christ, remember, I've been, we've been looking at this for years in the first three chapters. We are in Christ. As we enter into Christ, we enter into His overcoming of the world. I was talking about that in Sunday school. We talk about he is omnipotent. He's all powerful. You know he's so powerful that he's overcome the world? Do you know that the people of faith who are in him have done what then? Overcome the world. We have Risen above the system. We have risen above the evil age. We have risen above death. And we have risen above sin. See why I tried to tell you? I, I appreciate it when you know what you're supposed to do. But I really appreciate it if you know who you are in Christ. Because then you'll do it automatically. Remember in Romans chapter 6. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. Sin will no longer rule you. We rise above this world. We rise above the system of Satan. Why? Nike. We are victors. We are victors. As Christians, we have risen above this evil age. As Christians, our citizenship is heavenly. 
And Paul is basically trying to tell us that we should live as heavenly citizens. We should live as victors. We should live as overcomers. I like it in Romans, Paul uses Nike, but he puts Hooper in front of it. Hooper Nike, we translate it that we are more than conquerors. We are kicking butt and taking names. We are super overcomers. We are hyper overcomers. So, please understand this. The basics to salvation. There's an overcoming that is part of that transformation. I remember when I came to salvation, I come from a checkered past or a plaid past or whatever you want to call it. And I was in the construction trade. And uh, that's an interesting conversational area. When I got saved, it was amazing to me how offensive cursing was. And it was like every time I cursed, it was like sticking my head in a 55-gallon barrel so I could get it to reverberate. And it bothered me. Now, listen, I had a lot of other things I had to deal with. But that was the first thing that told me that, what? There is a transformation. There is a change of nature that changes your character. Salvation produces overcomers. Salvation lifts us up. That's why the Apostle Paul is saying, I need you to die to the old. I want you to rise in the new. I want you to be buried with Christ in his baptism unto death, to be raised with Christ, to walk in the newness of life. We therefore see the things above. There is a newness. There's a newness of nature. There is a newness of life. There's a newness of lifestyle. There is a newness in our walk. We are different. We are completely different. Please understand what I'm trying to get at. We are different than the world. Okay, Paul is showing us in chapters 1 to 3 the newness on what it is on the inside. This is what you positionally are as a Christian in Christ. And chapters 4 to 6 describes how that newness looks on the outside. Have you ever seen people who claim to be Christian but look just like the world? How does that work? You know that's antithetical to the scriptures, right? What is our life? What have you ever thought about this? What is the purpose of life? We used to do that. We used to sit around and smoke pot and say, hey man, what's the meaning of life? And we could care less what the meaning of life was. But have you ever thought about it? You know, I was teaching on this. In the last few weeks, last month, and they have a futility of mind. 
lost people do. You know what that means? They got no point. I get up in the morning, I shower, shave maybe, go to work, do my job, come home, go to bed, get up and repeat. And I'm going to do that for 30 years, and then I'm going to stop. And then what? And what is the point of that? It reminds me of the joke. Pete and repeat were sitting on a fence. Pete fell off. Who was left? Repeat. Pete and repeat were sitting on a fence. Pete fell off. Who was left? Repeat. Tell me, looking around, you don't see that going on. There is no point. There is no aim. There is no purpose. Paul is giving us a contrast here in 17 to 24. The old self, the new self, that was before salvation, that was after salvation. And he says, I don't want you to walk like you did before salvation. You need to look different. You need to be transformed. Remember in Ephesians 2? You have been created in Christ unto good works. Walking. You're new. You're a new creation. That is different than the old man. You now have purpose. You know, I look at humanity that is lost and they strive and they strive and they strive and they strive so they can have, well, in America, two weeks vacation. Two weeks of entertaining myself. A week of entertaining myself. So I can work 50 weeks getting ready so I can go do it again. And we call that success. See, God has saved us unto a new life. He has saved us to be different. He has saved us to be transformed. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. You know, it's not an old creation that gets spruced up. It's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Back to 1 John Chapter 5, verse 19. This is something you really need to pay attention to. We know that. You know what that means? You better know this. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In the power is the New American Standard translate. It literally means in the lap of Satan. The whole world lies in the lap of Satan, but we are of God. We are of God. We have overcome this world, remember? In 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5. Because this world lies in the lap of the wicked one, the evil one. All right, so, and I hate to break the news to you, to me... That should be a huge difference. I don't want to be a believer laying in Satan's lap. The world is controlled by him. And we have risen above it. Do you realize 
as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have literally been raised to the presence of God. I mean, think, just let that rattle around in your brain bucket for a second. I have gotten off the lap of Satan, and now I have been raised to be in the presence of the Most High God. And we are not to be like the Gentiles. We are not to be like the pagans. We are not to be like the lost. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5 says, Those people know not God. They don't know Him. We are not numbered among them. When you come to Jesus Christ, we are changed instantaneously. And our lifestyle is too. Brothers and sisters, I've been in this church for 35 years. And what I have noticed is too many churches don't share this. They don't know that. They don't know that they've changed. They don't know that they're not to be in the lap of Satan. Go look at me. I'm going to challenge you. What is it is your priorities? Things of this world? The pleasures? The pains? The lady's getting ready to go through, be anxious for nothing. There ain't no anxiety in the body of Christ, is there? Why would there be anxiety in a believer? Well, if you're hanging out in the lap of Satan, you're going to have it. Why would a Christian fear anything? See what I'm trying to get at? (laughs) We walk in the power of he who spoke existence into being. That's not bad. The Apostle Paul is sharing a contrast here. This old way of life and a new way of life. I want each of you, and what I was praying this week, that everybody that would be here this day would evaluate their salvation. I want you to test your salvation. Paul is saying, I want to see a new way of life. How we are to be is a tremendous difference than this world. Okay, and I've shared this, I shared this last week. The key to this thing is, how do you think? How do you think when you're making decisions? I don't care how small the decision is. When you think and your thinking process, is it like the world does it? Or is it as Christ does it? I mean, he makes a powerful statement down there. You put on the new self, verse 24, which is in the likeness of who? That's kind of different, isn't it? 
And then he says, how does that look? It's been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. The old lifestyle is a lap of Satan. But you know what? The old lifestyle was a certain way of thinking, wasn't it? Now listen, you guys, some of you guys cannot relate to some of this because, well, I was raised in the church. My grandparents started taking us to church or my cousin took me to church. My aunt or uncle took me to church. My parents might have took me to church. You know, we every year, we went to VBS. I seen a picture of me going to VBS once. I don't remember it, but I had a really cute bow tie. I was adorable. Listen, salvation demands a different thinking. Verse 23 of Ephesians 4. That you be renewed in the spirit of what? You know what that means? You've got to have new thinking. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? Renewing your mind. It demands a new thinking. I'm a child of God. See, the Lord begins this transformation at the point of salvation. 17 to 19 in this text is the old man. 20 to 24 is the new man. I'll take you back a little bit so you can understand some of this. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. 1 to 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived and the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. See, the lost walk according to the world. The lost walk according to the flesh. The lost walk according to the devil. That's how they function. I shared with you over the last month four characteristics of what this looks like. One was they had an empty mind. That's what it says there in verse 17 of chapter 4. They walk in the futility of their mind. The word there means uh, useless. That is based on self-centeredness. See, when I'm looking out for self, what is my thinking process? It's all about me. It's all about me. What can I get out of this? You know, I, I work. I work 40 hours a week so I can have the weekend. So I can do what? That's all about me too. I look at the church. The church is bought into that doctrine. It's all about them. I heard a pastor tell me, he says, I don't keep my people more than 29 minutes because their time is important. Interesting concept. 
they are empty because the thinking is self-centered. Thinking is what is ultimate. Remember what he said in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. In all humility. How can you be self-centered and be humble? Vanity, emptiness. There's no point, and it's aimless. It accomplishes nothing. Emptiness in our age. Look around at our society. Look around at Castle Rock. Is it self-centered? Is it empty? Have you ever listened to what people complain about? It's easy to see what a society is by what their complaint is. We got no parking. Then keep driving. I mean, just listen to what people complain about. I go out, I'm around here in town, and I talk to people, and it's amazing to me. And again, it goes back to the single denominator, and the whole thing is me. I'm inconvenienced. Hey, when I moved to Castle Rock, there was one traffic light in town. One. You go downtown Castle Rock now between 12 and 1, and it's a zoo. It's fun, though. I take my big truck and smile real big. I'll run over you, and I'll do it in love. But it's self-centered age. Now, I want you to remember something. Do you understand that that was all of us? Some point in time. You know what? It may be true of you now. That it's all about me. I'll break you that today. Second thing that that'll lead to is ignorance of truth. Verse 18. Darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because they are ignorant. They have a hardness that grows. As that ignorance is fed because I'm concerned about myself, I become harder and harder. If you've ever dealt with self-centered people, ask yourself a question. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a loved one, it's a relative, uh, maybe it's a coworker or something like that. But they're all self-centered. Ask yourself a question: When are they ever satisfied? You ever notice that? Because that hardness keeps going. I mean, even if they, oh, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this. And they get it, then there's something else. Because I'm worried about self. Because the key is, the thing that I have seen in my life, is what I've learned is, <laughs> man don't have the answers. Right? I mean, <laughs> we got a traffic problem. So we've got to do something about the traffic. We'll put a roundabout in. And you just sit there and you go, what? And then I got a card here at the church that explained how to navigate a roundabout. And I'm sitting there because I can't think, somebody's making fun. Somebody's going to be making fun of me. I know how to navigate it. Just drive over the middle. 
But, but you sit there and you think, that's going to make it better how? I mean, because you know what? I <laughs> There's been a couple of times you get bored. And you, you know, if I didn't have to walk back up the hill, I'd walk down and, and come back. But uh, I walk down and just watch. Because it's, it's crazy. You sit there and go, wow, man, you guys are impressive. But see, man ain't got no answers. If all of the people weren't concerned about themselves, there wouldn't be any traffic problems down there because everybody would be letting the other person, here, your turn, go. Here, I'll go now. But see, that ain't the way it is. I'm worried about me. Why? I hate my job, but I have to hurry up and get there. See? I mean, I listen to the political pablum. And that's all it is. It's all about me. It's all about me. A text that I find frightening. These people are alienated from the life of God. Okay? If you're alienated from the life of God, that removes any possibility of knowing truth. Okay, you know where it ends? I'm going to let you guys, I'll give you a homework assignment. In the Old Testament, it says, Ephraim is joined to idols. You know what it says after that? Let him alone. Now, if you want to know what's spooky about that, go to the book of Revelations. It talks about calling out 12,000 of the 12 tribes, doesn't it? Go find Ephraim. It's not there. Let him alone. Romans chapter 1, over and over and over again, it says God gives them up. But one of the scariest that ever is out of the book of Revelations, chapter 22, verse 11. And the one who does wrong, still do wrong. And the one who is filthy, still be filthy. And the one who is righteous and still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy, still keep him holy. You know what that means? Leave him alone. There comes a point because of the self-centeredness of man and then his ignorance and hardening of his heart, that God, as Pharaoh, hardened their heart. But in verse 19 of Ephesians 4, they become shameless. They become shameless. They pass feeling. They have no more convictions. They are no longer sensitive to sin. They no longer regret. They no longer shame. See, that's what living by your own mind gets you. Look at our society. Self-desires is all that is felt. It's the only feeling they've got. 
they want to get what they can get. They want to get it quickly. That leads to a reprobate mind. Okay, reprobate is the word, uh, you can put the word depraved in it, and it basically means found useless for its intended purpose. A mind that stops and never even considers consequences. It's a mind that is functioning with a seared conscience. They had a human being ever been born a man and woman does not have a conscience. But we do have a knack for searing that thing. It says there in verse 19, having become callous and given themselves over to sensuality and for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. I want to spend a little time on this because I don't believe I did it justice. Some of your terms, instead of sensuality, may say lasciviousness. Every time I find that in the scriptures, I went back through my notes. It is, uh, I, I, how do I say this? It's a filthy word. I mean, it's, it, it's a person's whose soul dwells so much in sin that it is totally dominated by it. Okay? It's it's amazing word, really, for Scripture. It's, it's that person who doesn't even care what anybody says. It doesn't care what anybody thinks. They are uh, obsessed. Obsessed. There no longer is any shock. Okay? And... In the New Testament, this word never shows up by itself alone. It's always bringing emphasis to something else. Let me give you an example. Three times in uh, the New Testament, it is connected with drunkenness. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 3. And uh, Romans 13, 13. Okay? You tag this word to drunkenness, it means I don't have any public restraint. Okay? I just, uh, have you ever seen people fall down drunk in the streets? I was in, uh, this is before Christ. I was in uh, New Orleans for Mardi Gras. And they've got, is it Monday, Wednesday? Monday, Wednesday when you're supposed to be better. And Fat Tuesday. I don't remember how it works. Anyway, one day is... I'm allowed to be as stupid as I want because tomorrow they're going to forgive me. Okay? And they've got down being stupid as... <laughs> to an art. I mean, I was down there and I was working on being stupid to the degree I could be. And you couldn't go down an alley. And it didn't smell like Vomit. And, you know, if you're sitting there supposed to be having this great time, and you're like, well, it makes me want to puke. Okay? And yet, people were doing that in the name of what? See what I mean? It wasn't a few years after that, I learned out that it was a religious holiday. And I thought, wow, man. <laughs> I want a part of that. I won't tell you about 
Mardi Gras in Rio. Because I've never seen anything like that. And at that time in my life, I could care less about anything. And what I saw down there was, wow, I bet your mommy's proud of you. That's what that drunkenness is. But four times in the New Testament, it is connected to uh, adultery or lust. It's, it's dealing with sexual sin. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, 22. 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 21. Galatians, chapter 5, verse 19. Second Peter, chapter 2, verse 18. All of those refer to sexual sin and the passion that is involved in it. A person who has no more shame for sex than an animal. That's what it means. Its sole purpose is to gratify sexual desires. Period. And it has no shame on how it accomplishes it. Oslogaios is the word in the Greek. And it was used in uh, Oslogaios in the, uh, what they call secular Greek, secular writings of Greek. Speak of sex like a dog. Dogs are bashful, ain't they? Oslogaios is what that term means. So, drunkenness and sexual lust. That's what this word is connected with. Okay? But three times, it's used with greediness. And that's what it's used with here. It is such a... uh, Controllable, uncontrollable lust that people don't even know that there's a limit. You can see it with drunkenness, you can see it with sexual immorality, and you can see it with greed. Uh, I believe a lot of this is the man is manifested in our societies today in raping. I think that when a man rapes a woman, it is this is a product of this mind is that my passion has overruled any consequences or any purposes completely out of control. And there in chapter four, he says with greediness, greediness. Listen, brothers and sisters, I love you, but I want you to know something. This is not an inner attitude. Okay, it's an evil lusting for that which is wrong. And it's greedy in its lust. Even to the point that in public, they don't care. They don't care. Use the term, it's like a dog. It's like an animal. There is zero shame. 
That's what the Apostle Paul says, no longer as the Gentiles. It is so greedy that it just wants to get itself fulfilled. Okay? And it's never, ever, ever able to be satisfied. And it will lead to madness. I told you last week, I knew a guy who stepped into this. Five days, no sleep. Five days of nothing, to use the secular vernacular, booze and pills and party. Five days. On the sixth day, he thought he was going to lose his mind. Okay? Took a few days off and all the rest of it, and then repeated it. Countless times. Right? That is the way the Gentiles live. The pagans. Now, you're going to sit there for a second and you're going to say, well, you know, I've done some bad things. <laughs> Man, I, I never got that. <laughs> you know, somewhere in there, I, I got into serious shamelessness maybe just on a side or, you know, mooning people out the window of my car or something. But I mean, you know, I, I, I never went any farther than that. You'd had to see the movie. If you haven't seen the movie, don't worry about it. But uh, you, you know, I've been drunk a few times and it chased me. But I never got, you know, lose my mind stupid. Not everybody goes that far. I agree. I'm grateful. But let me tell you something. Nobody in human society has any resources to restrain themselves from going that far. The only reason that we don't do it, somebody put up laws, sometimes, oh well. But I think that the big thing, it is, we may not go that far, and that is the grace of God. Because the grace of God falls on the just and the unjust. But I also believe in the restraining work of the Holy Spirit. I think he keeps some of the madness to a dull roar. I mean, you know, I had a conversation with a Jewish rabbi in Jerusalem. And our discussion was on Adolf Hitler. And uh, he made a comment to me that was kind of stunning to me. He says, did you know... Historically, Hitler never killed one Jew. But in his greediness and his power, he got a whole nation willing to do it. Now you can sit and tell me they didn't know. You don't run trains to extermination camps. And nobody knows what they're doing. 
I mean, you don't keep the records that they kept and nobody don't know what's going on. Hitler never killed a Jew. He ordered it. And the people did it. Okay? Joseph Stalin killed 25 million of his people because they didn't like him. And then he went back. Some of these guys were his right and left hand men. He went back and pictures that he had of them, he had them delete them from the picture. Let me tell you something. You sit there and you think, well, that's just, you know what? That is the nature of man unrestrained. Please don't think you, I would never do anything like that. Really? We have the restraining work of the Holy Spirit. We also have this thing that is neglected in the United States, which I believe will be our detriment, is that we have the safety of the church. But for whatever reason, people ain't worried about it. There is safety in the church. And those... I think between the grace of God, the restraining work of the Holy Spirit, the safety of the church, that will keep some not ending up in the pit of madness of a lustful lustful nature. Because let me tell you something. That's where self goes. And you have, a lost person has no ability whatever to restrain that. Self leads to lust. And it knows no limit. Okay, and one of the things that is just amazing to me is that the more that we do it, the less satisfying that it is. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 15. He said, uh, then Jesus said to them, beware, be on guard against every form of, there's that word again, greed. Greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. See, you can have greed over your personal earthly possessions. He says it again in Romans chapter 1, verse 29. That's what lost people do. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, you also see greed is used to take advantage of others. But they do it well. They're sneaky. They'll take advantage of you as they smile at you and tell you how much they love you. Colossians chapter 3, you see that greed, there is greed and idolatry that does all kinds of evil. So you put sensuality and greed together, you have two forces that human nature cannot overcome. It's a maddening desire to have 
what is forbidden, and it will drive you mad. Why? I just give it to you. Your mind becomes useless. You become ignorant. In that ignorance, you become shameless. In that shamelessness, you become hard-hearted. And it gets to the place that there is no conscience to shock. You are shameless and mindless. In Revelations, it tells me, evil men shall grow worse and worse. And within seven years of no restraint, they destroy each other almost completely. And then they get the brilliant idea that they'll go kill Jesus when he shows up. How mad is that? They bring all the armies of the world together in the valley of Megiddo. (laughs) And we're going to whoop you. And all he does is speak. And they are slaughtered. They give themselves over. Now, how does this happen? They give themselves over. Listen, this is willful choices. Okay, please understand this. Willful choices. Okay? A choice that you make often enough becomes a habit. Hear what I'm saying? You're going to get your doctorates in psychology. You have a choice and you make it enough, it becomes a habit. When it becomes a habit, that is what will grow your personality. What your personality produces through that habit will be your character. All of that leads to your destiny. But all it is is a series of choices. I remember one time, a young man, I decided to be a big man, you needed to drink a beer. If you drink beer, I mean, my dad, my grandpa, everybody I knew was drinking beer. So give me a beer. So I drank a beer. I thought I was going to die. That was the most nasty, awful tasting thing I ever had in my life. And why in the world would anybody want to drink one of those? But you know what? I made sure I drank that thing. And then I drank another, and I drank another, and I drank another. Because... I was in the lap of the world. And I made one small choice that became a habit, became my personality, became my character, which is leading my destiny. Let me tell you something. I love you all. But I want you to know this. I want you to know this emphatically. Your sin is yours. Your grandpa didn't do it. Your gene pool didn't do it. And have nothing to do with it. Your sin, you own. Guess what? It was your choice. Well, but no. No, it was your choice. And I want you to tell you this. Continue in it and know this emphatically and take it to the grave. Sin will always warp your thinking. Always. Now then, let's see if I can put a pretty picture on this. 
How much do you appreciate your salvation now? Because that's what you were saved from. What was you saved from? Yourself. Brothers and sisters, Wednesday we celebrate the birth of Christ who came to what? Get us out of the lap of Satan. That's ugly. But you know what? 90% of Christians don't know how ugly they were. You know how I know that? I see their walk. Sin don't bother them because they made a choice and it's now a habit. But in Christ, we are a new creation. Brothers and sisters, there's too many of us right now who do not appreciate our salvation. I mean, I go through this and say, I was there. I was there. You know the guy I told you about who went to madness? That was me. And on the sixth day, I go, man, this is crazy. When can we start again? Because you know what happened? Those five days didn't satisfy. It took me some days to recuperate. Dude, I I got news for you. I lost... 40 pounds in five days. Okay. So I'm not, I, to be alive is amazing to me. But that is my salvation. Because I know when you make the decisions to follow the desires of the flesh, to follow the desires of the world, who are being led in the lap of Satan, guess what? You'll lose your mind. You think about all the great artists that we have seen. Well, some of you haven't seen. I've seen who, who, what would they be now had they not lost their minds? I can't imagine. I I can't imagine. I mean, go back to Vincent Van Gogh. What happened to him? Well, I think it was wine by the barrel. I think about it. History shows us over and over people who lost their minds. Greatest military mind possibly ever drank himself to death by the age of 26. And he'd conquered just about all of the world that there was. I mean, all the world that was worth conquering. Brothers and sisters, you were saved from that. You might have been raised in the church. You might have, you know, had your parents, grandparents, whatever. That's cool. But the darkness that is in the human heart, there's only one light can change it. And too many times we take that for granted. And brothers and sisters, we should never do that. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? If not for grace, there I would go. Now you can sit and tell me, well, Terry, you, you know, you went over to the goofy side. You know what? Every one of you is on the same path. All right? That's what I tell everybody. The only difference between you and me before Christ, what you thought about, I just went ahead and did. Okay? And it's in our nature. Because you know what I've learned? 
Flesh is never satisfied. And the only time I have been satisfied in my entire existence is when I came into a loving relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's it. Now I have a purpose. To annoy all of you. Let's pray. Father, we come today. Father, I know that... uh, I know you laid this into my heart and I wrestled with you all week. But Father, I thank you that I could show the ugliness of sin as best as I could. Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters understand what a massive gift at this season Jesus Christ truly is. We are in Christ. We are new creations. We have been saved unto good works. Father, I pray for Castle Rock Baptist Church that we walk in them. In Christ's name, amen.